Remain standing, if you would, as we take our Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 5. And in continuation from what we looked at last week at the end of chapter number 4, verses 14 through 16, the preacher now continues his examination of Jesus as high priest. And he contrasts that with the Aaronical priesthood, uh, and he he takes a look at it, and he uh, kind of lays out what the priest was, some of the requirements, so forth, how Jesus fit the bill. But then he also contrasts them toward the end, so we're going to be looking at those three specific things. And by doing so, I hope uh, uh, to help us see this morning uh, why we need um, Christ, and we don't need uh, a priest high priest uh, in the uh, sense of priests in the Old Testament because we have one, is Jesus Christ. And so I guess the uh, question would then be, why was it so important? What was so important about the high priest? And then uh, how Christ would fill that role. Take a look with me, if you would, at the first 10 verses of the book of, or the chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may uh, offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God, an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Father, I pray, Lord, a special blessing now on the hearers of your word. But, Father, I'm not going to mince words. I pray an even more pronounced blessing on the doers of your word. Father, be with us this morning as we get into uh, the truths found in this book. Help us to see Christ high and lifted up this morning, that he would be made much of and that we would diminish. Father, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As looking at, uh, uh, at this specific chapter, And going into it in a little more detail, again, the question that I would like to pose this morning was, what's so important about the high priest? Why is it important that we understand Jesus as the high priest? 
And when we look at these things from uh, from the perspective of not necessarily uh, just uh, what was a high priest, but why is it important that we accept Christ this way, uh, I think it's going to kind of open some things up for us. And I hope that we can see this um, also, you know, what should be the role uh, of people in the... Uh, in the clergy today, many people, they uh, like to, uh, you know, the differentiate, well, this is a priest, this is a pastor, and what's the difference? And then you've got a lot of people out there that take just about every title upon themselves, uh, reverend, apostle, bishop, so-and-so, and, and uh, you know, so what is it that we ought to kind of pattern ourselves after, and why is it important that we see this in Christ? Well, I'd like to look at a few things this morning, uh, specifically uh, from this text, and, and by God's grace, we're going to be able to see just how beautiful Christ being our high priest truly is. The first thing I want to look at is what is a high priest. Notice this in the first four verses that we read this morning. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion? on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. The first thing I want to point out is that being a high priest should have been a humbling thing to these individuals. Those who were called of God uh, to be the high priest. You, I mean, you think about Aaron, poor Aaron. Here he is. He's just trying to make it to the promised land, just trying to get there and just, you know, just, just trying to, uh, to do what the Lord wants him to do. And then all of a sudden, God puts his hand on him and says, you're going to be the high priest. You're going to be the one, uh, that, uh, that is going to, uh, guide people and, and lead people this way. So being a high priest, should have been a humbling honor. But you know, the sad thing is that many of the people who took upon this, uh, uh, this title, took this uh, honor upon themselves, they didn't necessarily view it as a humbling honor. They viewed it as a place of power, prestige, and position. I'm not saying that this as a blanket statement. I believe that there were some great high priests through the history of Israel. You can read it for yourself, and you can see this. But by and large, a lot of the people started to take upon this idea of position and prominence, and this is what became associated with the high priest. Please don't misunderstand me. I think that reverence should have been given to that position. I believe that uh, that that position of high priest should have been one that was met with respect. I believe that the people should have given respect to the the person who was who was heralding out the truth of God's word, who was offering sacrifice, who was going through great pains and effort to ensure that they were ritualistically cleansed so that they could offer this uh, this sacrifice for the individuals. I mean, you, th you think about it, you go back and you look at the different qualifications for priests. The high priest, the priests in general, were not supposed to have contact with anything, uh, anyone who was dead. If you were to, if you were to want the, uh, uh, maybe you had the priest over for dinner or something along those lines, and your mother uh, passes away at the dinner. Well, let's make it a little easier, a little more palatable. Your mother-in-law passes. I'm just kidding. That was a bad joke. Just, just 
follow me. All right. And so you're, uh, uh, you're sitting, the priest is not going to be the one to walk over and, and grab and they were not to make contact. The only exception to that was their own close kin. So if their mother or their spouse or their children, that was the only exception. But then if they did have contact, they had to go back again and begin the ritualistic cleansing so that they were able then to offer these sacrifices. They went through great pains. They went through great restrictions. And I believe by the time you get to Jesus's day and you had the Pharisees, they had taken these great pains to ensure that they had a certain level so that they could represent. And then they had turned it into something that it was never meant to be. And rather than I am doing this, I am sacrificing on your behalf, it was I am doing this and sacrificing and being a certain thing so that you can look and see how good I am. And so understanding what a high priest was supposed to be and this great honor that came along, we need to see what exactly is taking place. I want you to notice a couple things for me. Look at verse number one. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men, in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Drop down to verse number three. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. These two things uh, uh, coupled together, he uh, uh, for men and he ought as for the people, these point to an obligation that the priest had in doing something for the people. The high priest was one who was who was to come along, and he was supposed to be uh, this go-between. He was supposed to be an aid. He was supposed to help guide. He was supposed to help lead. He was supposed to help uh, uh, nudge people closer and closer toward God. He was supposed to help them understand the things that they were doing that they were not supposed to be doing. He was supposed to help them to uh, see the things that they were not doing, that they were doing, that they were not supposed to be doing. He was supposed to help them and aid them and guide them along this way. He was for them. The sad thing is that many people don't want to be for anyone else, but they're happy to have everyone else be for them. And so the first part of this that we need to see as far as the high priest is concerned is this was a a, a position of humility, one that was supposed to live a life of service and sacrifice to his fellow man. This service was for a purpose. It made the reference there in verse number three, uh, for by reason, as for the people, so also to himself, but there at the very beginning, verse number one, as in the things pertaining to God. Stop there for just a minute because we're gonna, I'm going to do the best that I can to try to help us see what the high priest's role was, and then we can look at what we as servants and ministers of the Lord today, how we can apply this to our lives. Because I believe everything from the beginning to the very end of the book is applicable to us today. And so we need to find out how we can apply it. I believe that there's only one interpretation, but there are many different applications. The things that the priests were supposed to do had to do with things spiritual. You know, sadly today, there are a lot of businessmen parading themselves as pastors. They're great in the business world. They know how to do business-type stuff. But they don't know how to serve people in a spiritual sense. 
this is where we want to kind of focus in. The priest was to act on behalf of the people. Now, not in general terms, but in spiritual terms. You see, access to God had been uh, thwarted because of sin. Sinful man could not gain access to God, but the priest, by the way of facilitating this special arrangement through gracious offerings and gracious sacrifices and and, and receiving in return the grace uh, of God, he was able to facilitate man's access to God. You and I, my friend, could not approach God because of our sinfulness. And it's not because God didn't want us to be able to approach him. Because he could not allow it. His perfection, excuse me, his purity caused him to have to keep distance from sinful man. Man could not approach. I think about when my kids were little tiny guys and we would go to the uh, to a restaurant after church or something and they we'd be sitting at, at the uh, uh, Cracker Barrel or wherever it was we were and, you know, they, they would start eating and they'd have ketchup on their hands and they would have mashed potatoes on their hands and gravy on their hands. They didn't even have gravy. I don't know where the gravy came from, but they had it on their hands. And then they would want to stand in the booth, Right. And what do they want to do? They want to put their hands all over you, right? And you're in your Sunday best, and you're going, hey, don't touch. Don't touch. Nice white shirt on. Don't touch me with those red ketchup-stained hands. No, no. We need to understand that our hands were filthy. And in the Old Testament, the high priest, his role was to help you know how you can approach God. You had to bring those sacrifices, make those offerings. And it was never really, let's look at this for just a minute, it was never really about the item. You remember what David said in Psalm 51? He says, thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken and contrite When I bring that offering, is my heart in it? Preacher, I go to church every single Sunday, and I uh, I even sing, and uh, and uh, and I I put money in the offering bucket, and you know, preacher, I, I but is your heart there? Or are you only there so that you know your spouse doesn't say anything? You only there so that you don't get a text message that week. Missed you guys. Are you only there so that? The people around can see, well, I'm here. God bless you. I'm here. You are blessed. Right? Is it? Is your heart in it? Are you only here because that's what you're supposed to do? You see, one of the roles of the high priest was to help you <laughs> know the right way to approach him. In looking at this, I want to point out a couple other things, too. This priests offer sacrifice, both sin and free will, on behalf of the people. Without the sacrifice, there was no priest. It's not necessary. 
He, he, he was no longer needed. The sacrifice is not necessary. Why is the priest? You see, they needed to be able to approach God. They needed to know how to approach God. And so I want to look at the requirements here. Being a high priest, what the requirements would have been. Notice here this, uh, that God instituted the official priesthood with Aaron and gave men, other men, to look for, to for guidance. Uh, go back with me, if you would, to chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and dis, uh, disobedience received a just recompense reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? If you remember, we looked at this when we were going through chapter 2 a little bit, a little bit deeper. We looked a little bit closer to this. Uh, but I just want to kind of remind us that apparently in Old Testament times, the Word of God did come to man uh, by ways of uh, uh, angel. But God did not use angels as the high priest. The high priest was a man just like you or I. They were human. And so when we look at this, I guess one of the requirements for the high priest would just simply be human. And so when we look at that, this, they had to be a partaker of the nature that was to be redeemed. A partaker of the nature that was to be redeemed. Again, in chapter, or chapter number 5, verse 1, for every priest uh, taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God that he may offer both uh, sac gifts and sacrifices for sin, drop down to verse 3, and by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. The high priest, he had to make sacrifices for himself. Why? Because the high priest was human, just like you and I are. And so this ought to help us to understand there is nobody that is uh, above anybody else. Look, just because I have the title pastor does not mean that I am holier than any of you all. Not a bit. The only thing that makes me holy is God and his word. Nothing to do with my title, position, role, none of that. As we see this, the high priest needed to be human, but what is so important about that? Well, one of the second parts. Look at verse 2. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for he, that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. You want to know what makes me so compassionate toward people who are sinners? Because I know what it's like to be a sinner. <laughs> yeah, man, brother, I'm struggling with this. Hmm. Good thing. I, you know, people, I don't like kids, and I'm glad I never was one. Yeah, those kind of people. I'm, I don't like to be around sinners. I'm not a sinner. Back off. We need to understand our position. This was one of the requirements. 
to being a high priest. You can see by the time you get to Caiaphas, you can see what kind of perversion the role of high priest had gotten to. It's not difficult for us to look around and see the perversion that the title pastor has gone through today. We wonder, how in the world can someone who carries the name pastor act the way they do? Because they're sinners. Sorry, Ruth. Because they're sinners. Listen, those of you who attend regularly, those of you who are members of Liberty Bible Church, or just attend when you can, if the reason that you are following is because you are following my words, there might come a day you will be sorely let down. I'm just a man. Do not, do not put your confidence in man. Put him in Christ. Follow him. Now, Paul said it this way. He said, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. So in other words, if you see me, you see how I'm moving toward, the, toward, toward godliness, you see how I'm trying to get closer and closer to the Lord, follow me in this journey. But when I step to the left, <laughs> you keep going that way. They had to be compassionate. I love that verse, chapter, verse number two, who can have compassion on the ignorant. I'm so glad there have been pastors in this ignorant boy's life to help guide me along. Because I'm here to tell you, as far as pet, pet dumb pastors in this world, you're looking at probably the dumbest. I make some of the most boneheaded decisions. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. I ain't too smart. I'm just thankful that God has put men in my life and women in my life to help guide me along and point me closer to Him. You see, He's compassionate. The high priest was to be compassionate. There's no place in the life of a spiritual leader for arrogance. None. There's no place in the life of a spiritual leader for cruelty, for inconsiderate behavior, for rudeness. There's no place in the life of a spiritual leader for that. You may be saying, well, it's a good thing I'm not a spiritual leader because I can't get over this arrogance. Well, I'm just a rude individual, and people are just going to have to deal with that. I'm not a pastor. So, Listen, my friend, you are leading someone spiritually. You may be leading your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors, the children in the classroom. Listen to me. There's never room in the, leaders of, in, in the spiritual leader's life, never, for an uncompassionate, uncaring attitude. No reason. But continue to look with me if you would. God's man was to be able to show sympathy and meek patience. And I'm here to tell you, (laughs) the Bible refers to us as sheep. And sheep are dumb. 
I think God's Word got it right, didn't He? We can be daft individuals at best. And praise God, He put shepherds in our lives to help guide us when we are just dumb. Look at the third thing. They must have something to sacrifice. That's an interesting thing. What was the high priest doing if he didn't have anything to sacrifice? He was standing there at an empty altar. Nothing to give. And so it's almost, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, what do you do for a living? I drive. What kind of car? I don't have a car. Oh, you got a truck? No. Got a boat? No. Airplane? No. Lawnmower? No. What do you drive? Nothing. What do you do for a living? I'm a driver. Doesn't make any sense. Driver without a car. I don't have a car, but I'm a driver. Like a baseball player without a bat. Doesn't make any sense, does it? High priest needs to have sacrifice. Look at the fourth thing here. Fourth thing. Notice verse number four, please. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God. My friends, I understand the Bible says if you desire the office of bishop, you desire a good thing. But then it goes through the qualification. And you know what's, what's interesting about those qualifications is the more you look at them, the less you really feel that you're qualified. <laughs> Not a brawler. I mean, let's just stop right there. How many of us have been in an argument recently? Knows how to rule well his own home. You kidding me? Like anarchy at our house half the time. I look at these things and I just think to myself, I am the last person that should be preaching. The Bible says if you desire the office of bishop, you desire a good thing. It's not saying go hunt after it. It's saying if, you do, if, you're, if you're hoping to be one, let me help you understand what's required. In other words, wait a minute. Be careful. That's the way the, the Apostle Paul's wording this here. You see, I know I'm not qualified in my eyes. But I know what he asks of me. And I know what he wanted me to do. And I know the direction he wanted my life to turn. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the fact that God called. I just answered. The high priest was to be that way as well. I'm not trying to equate myself to a high priest. I'm just trying to help us draw application to that. The high priest was called, was appointed by God. Aaron didn't seek it. Moses didn't appoint him. God appointed Aaron. God appointed the priesthood. God established this. No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God. 
just like Aaron. But I want you to notice how Christ fulfills all of these. Because it's, it, it's one thing to see the high priest. It's another thing to see how Jesus fulfilled it. Because Jesus meets these qualifications of being the high priest, not only so, but he also fulfills these duties superiorly in ways that no high priest in the history of high priests ever was able to, to fulfill them. Number one, was he human? Yes. You see there in chapter, in chapter 5, look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. You know, this, this being in the flesh is reference to having a fleshly body. It was having a fleshly body to where he became a... You remember back in uh, when we studied in the book of Philippians, Philippians 2? He took upon himself the form of a servant. He became like us. To take away the humanity of Jesus Christ is a slap in the face of our Savior. Think of what he went through. We're talking about the one who created humanity, and he humbled himself. He became obedient. He became a man. He became human. And some people, well, I got more respect for Jesus than to refer to him as, as a human. So, no, this was his mission. This was his glory on display. Don't take that away from him. Don't rob him of who he is, who he came to be. Don't rob that from him. Notice with this, though, this word that is used here is, this verse that is used here is sometimes, uh, some people have a difficulty with it. Some find trouble in this because notice what it says there who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Stop for just a minute because we need to see what he's talking about. Most theologians will take you back to Luke. Look with me if you would, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter number 22, we find Jesus here, and he's, uh, he's getting ready to head uh, to the cross, and he, uh, he's just had his last supper with his disciples, and he's giving them all this advice. And then you find in uh, verse 39 of Luke chapter 22, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. And in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from the prayer, 
once come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Now, I I want you to see what's taking place in here because most theologians will equate what's taking place here in in, uh, Hebrews chapter number five. They'll say, look, this is what it's talking about. When in the day of his flesh, being in great agony, he calls out to God, the one who could save him from death. Notice what it said there, what Jesus's prayer was. And being agony, he prayed more earnestly. But going back in verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, some will try to say that uh, that what Jesus is praying praying for here is to not have to go to the cross. I don't agree with that. And if somebody wants to believe that way, praise the Lord, you're in good company. There's, there are many theologians that believe that. That's okay. I don't believe that. I don't believe when Jesus was praying, let this cup be removed. He was saying, God, I don't want to go to the cross, but not what I want to do. Whatever it is you want to do is okay with me. That's not what he, I believe he was praying. I believe that he was in such agony. Think about it. Have you, ever, have you ever been in such agony that you have sweat great drops of blood? Have you been in so, so much distress that you felt, if I just, I can't, I can't breathe, and, and I just, I don't think I'm going to be able to? I believe that he was at death's door in the garden that day. And Jesus came. He says, I did not come uh, for the healthy. I came for the sinners. I came to be raised up as Moses raised the serpent in the world. That's why I came. I, I came for the very purpose of being offered as a sacrifice. If that was the reason he came, why in the world would he pray to not have to do it? Does it make sense to me? I believe that he was in such great agony in the garden that day. And he was right on death's door, and he was saying, don't let me die here. This is not why I came. I came for the cross. Save me from this hour. Go back to Hebrews, and I'll tell you why I believe that. Hebrews chapter 5. Your Lord came for the purpose of going to the cross for you. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 5, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Who did he call out to? Called out to God, the one that was able to save him from death, God the Father. He says, Father, save me from this hour. Notice the next phrase and was heard. This word is only used five times in the New Testament. It's the Greek word, isakuthes. It's a big word. This Greek word means to hear and respond. It means to heed someone's request for help. Let me give you a couple times that this is used. It's used 1 Corinthians 14, 21. It's used in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. But go back to Acts chapter number 10 with me. Acts chapter 10. I want you to see how this word is used elsewhere in Scripture. Acts chapter number 10, look at the uh, uh, verse number 31. 
is Peter. He's uh, before Cornelius. And he says, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Cornelius was calling out to God. God sent Peter in answer to his prayer. This word for heard does not simply mean, oh, yep, gotcha. There are other words for that. But here in the New Testament, every time this word is used, every time it's spoken, every time it is written, this word means not only that he listened and heard, but that he reacted or acted or did or uh, or answered as he was requested. And so I believe it tells me here in Hebrews, it says that he prayed he called out in the days of his flesh when he, was, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard. If he was praying, God, I don't want to face this. And God answered that prayer and he was praying in response to the cross. You and I, my friend, would have no hope. I believe God saved him for the cross. With all that, with all that in mind, was he man? Yes. Yes. Was he compassionate? More than you know. More than you know. He was able to sympathize since he had suffered rejection. He was able to sympathize. He had suffered pain. He had suffered sadness. He had suffered loss. He was able to sympathize. He's been at death's door. So as he, as we look at Christ, we see that he took on flesh and that he was compassionate. But we also see he had a sacrifice. John 1, 29 says, John the Baptist is looking and sees Jesus coming. He says, behold the Lamb of God. Not only was he the high priest, but he was the sacrifice. He took on flesh. He was compassionate. He was the sacrifice. And then we also see that he was called of God. Notice that in verse number six. And he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I like statements like that because it reminds me that they didn't have the verse and chapter divisions back then. He says, he says it in another place. He probably could have taken you right to that spot, but he didn't say what well, it says in Psalm 110 verse four, because they didn't have 110 and four back then. But this is a direct response back to Psalm chapter 110, verse 4. But then you also drop down to verse 10, and it says, God uh, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Called of God. This is the high priest we have. The high priest that we see in Christ. Psalm 2 helps us to see that he was perfectly fit to hold the office. Levite or not, 
Psalm 110 lets us see that he was ordained by God. Now, quickly, as we come to a conclusion, I want you to notice the contrasting of the priests. What makes Jesus so superior? Well, first, he was holy. He didn't need to make sacrifice for himself. Unlike all the other high priests of old (laughs) who had to make a sacrifice for themselves so that they could make sacrifice for you, he didn't have to. He was perfect. He was holy. He is not only the one making the sacrifice, but is himself the sacrifice. This is different. And then if you drop down to verse 9, look what it says, and being made perfect, that word, there's that word, we talked about it several weeks ago, this word for completeness. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. His work is not a temporary work. His work is an eternal one. My friend, if you are trusting in a salvation that is not eternal salvation, you are trusting in a salvation that is not of him. The only salvation God offers is right there. Verse number nine. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. So, Pastor, you believe then that people can get saved and live like the devil? Nope. No, I don't. Yeah, but my brother or my sister or my niece or my nephew or my son or my uncle or my friend got saved and they just aren't living a good Christian life. You sure they got saved? Not something we mess around with, folks. God forbid I ever pat someone on the back and make them feel comfortable in their sin. What Paul said, he said, should we sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. But those who truly are born again by the Spirit of God have eternal salvation. Notice something else here. He is higher, Aaron. We're going to go more into this. I don't want to jump two chapters ahead, but when we get to chapter 7, we're going to go more into this idea of this high priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. But I want you to understand a couple things before we go to our conclusion. It was not transferable. It was forever. It was an everlasting priesthood. Aaron was priest till he died. Over. Passed on to somebody else. Our high priest is still our high priest today. If Jesus Christ is your high priest today, he is still your high priest just like he was over 2,000 years ago, my friend. His high priesthood does not stop is not passed over to the next papa. Mm-mm. Don't work that way. Not only that, but it was a royal priesthood. We go back and look at the study of Melchizedek. Not only was he the high priest of Salem, he was the king. I love that Salem means peace. 
<laughs> he's the king of peace. He's the high priest of peace. Do you have peace today? Does peace rule in your life? In your heart? My high priest, my king, is the king and high priest of peace. So how do we apply this to ourselves? What does this say? Let's take a look at that. The only priest that can supply access to God is Jesus Christ. Let me say that again because there weren't enough amen in on that one. The only priest in 2021, back to the day of the cross, the only priest that can supply salvation, that can supply access to God, is the one that said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's Jesus Christ. Only one. Everything leading up to this was to give you confidence. Everything that we have studied from chapter 1 all the way to this point was to give you confidence in his power and sympathy. Every bit of it. We've made our way, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Here we are at chapter 5. Based on what you have seen, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, you should have complete confidence in your high priest. And then how do we apply this as far as ministers are concerned? Listen, ministers are not called to be priests. But those of us, and I'm using the plural on purpose, because you, my friend, are called to minister on behalf of God. Go ye into all the world. He didn't say preachers, go ye into all the world. That was given in church capacity. We are called to humbly serve and guide people. How, how can a pastor serve you? How can a minister serve you? Just give you a few to close this thing up. Number one, by leading you to Christ and not the latest politician. That's how I can serve you. Leading you him. By lifting you up to God in prayer, not by lifting you up in your mind. So I can do one of two things for you. You tell me which one you want. You want me to pat you on the back and make you feel good about yourself, or do you want me to pray for you? Well, you can do both, Pastor. Damn, but I'm not going to. Third, I can serve you by instructing you in doctrine and righteousness, not how to enjoy life today. But I'm going to instruct you as best I can. Listen, like I just said, I can do several different things, but I'm not going to. You want to know why? Because I only have so much strength and I only have so much ability and I only have so much time. And I'm going to devote 100% of my time to giving you every bit of God's word as I can. 
I'm going to spend it in prayer. I'm going to spend it in the word, in study. I'm going to do everything within my power to be able to hand this information out. And then fourth, by equipping you for ministry. Not doing it for you, but equipping you to do it. In your own time, go back and read Acts chapter 6. The disciple says it's not a good idea for us to leave the ministry of the Word of God to go set a table. So they, they, they brought together a group of guys and had deacons. Why? I'll tell you one of the most wonderful things about my deacons is they take stuff off my lap and off my plate so I can get in this and on my knees more. If I'm consumed with how much money the church is spending versus bringing in or how much if this is going to cost or that's going to cost, guess what? That's taking me off of my knees and out of this book. If I'm worried about the different maintenance needs of the buildings and of the grounds, if I'm worried about who's opening what doors and taking care of this, it's taking me off my knees and out of this book. And you, my friend, need me in this book and on my knees a whole lot more than you need me in the grass. Not because I'm above it. I'll be the first one to go out there and mow the lawn. That doesn't bother me. This is of so much value. Who we treasure. I'm going to do everything that I can to spend as much time in this book and as much time on my knees before the throne of God for you. I believe that's what I'm called to do. If I'm wrong, please show me. I'll be happy to change. Go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are hungry for your word hungry for your righteousness, hungry to be more like you. Father, when I think of why you called us, why you desire for us to serve you, I'm so thankful that you are acting as our high priest. You are the one making us right before God. You are the one by whom we approach him. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help me as I do the best that I know how to effectively lead your people, teach them to guide them in truth. I pray, Father, that you would give me the words that need to be said, the uh, expose to me the areas of my life that need change. Father, that I might be able to be spent for your people's sake. Pray, Father, that you would minister to our heart. Call us closer to you, we pray. In your Son's name, amen.